Welcome to it. That's right, Saturday, Labor Day weekend. Yay! Hey, I just wanted to give you a little uh, American Dream segment uh, here on Chewing the Fat uh, with Pastor Greg Lloyd. I wanted to talk to him originally just about his uh, new Johnny Cash book. I just found you know fascinating. It had some great pictures in it of old Johnny Cash. It talked about his life and his biography, and and, we, and we'll get into that as we as I talk to him. But as I started reading about him, he is a fascinating man himself. I mean, he's living his own American dream. It's amazing, and I wanted to talk to him about that as well. So we got into that, and uh, I hope you enjoyed. He's a fascinating man. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to Chewing the Fat. Uh, rate and review if you have an opportunity i've made it easy for you all you have to do is you know rate it 20 stars and review it best podcast ever you're good to go uh, after you subscribe to chewing the fat and uh, you know you can listen on any platform that uh, that uh, podcasts are available we also have created the uh, chewing the fat hotline now uh, 214-735-9356 you can call and leave a voicemail and tell us what you think uh, about anything, but just know that the the disclaimer will say it's possible to be used. It's probably going to be used. Uh, it's probably just know that it's probably going to be used. So be prepared for that. But we really appreciate it. And uh, you can also, uh, you know, during the week when we record the podcast, eight 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 nine zero zero thirty three ninety three. You can call between uh, one thirty and three. Eastern, you might make it to the show. You might make it to the show. So, I mean, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but we need to be a part of it. So, thank you. Have a great weekend. I got a hard event coming up on Monday, too, since it's a holiday, and I'm not I'm not coming in. You're not coming into work. I'm not coming in. But you're going to look down on Monday. You're going to be out by the grill, or you're going to be battening down the hatches from a hurricane if you're in Florida. And, uh... You're gonna look down at your phone, and you're gonna you're gonna hear the boop, and you're gonna go, "Oh my gosh, there's a chewing the fat today!" And it's gonna be a repeat of my heart heart event show. So uh, enjoy that, and have a safe weekend. And we'll see you back on Chewing the Fat, brand spanking new Tuesday. For years, we heard uh, Johnny Cash sing songs and travel the globe and uh, the man in black uh, was uh, telling us uh, that uh, the world was uh, kind of a dark place and he was uh, it felt like he was the leader of the dark place but really the underlying current of Johnny Cash was his faith and when you watch the the movie Walk the Line uh, it kind of stops at when his faith was probably the most powerful now pastor greg laurie uh has a new book uh johnny cash the redemption of an american icon and uh greg thank you for joining us on chewing the fat our american dream segment i appreciate it thanks for coming along for the ride today nice to have you on board Thank so, you, Jeff, for having me. What uh, what prompted your? Uh, I mean, was it was it the uh, you know you obviously uh, lead a, a huge congregation and are uh, a strong believer in uh, in the Lord? And was it that that prompted you to uh, write about the redemption of Johnny Cash? Well, I would say my interest, uh, Jeff, goes back to another book I wrote called Steve McQueen, 
the salvation of an American icon. And I'd heard the story of McQueen, who was the top actor in the 70s. Yeah. In fact, there's a film out right now called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and there's a character yeah. that plays Steve McQueen. That's pretty much the time frame of Steve McQueen when that movie was done. But um, so I heard this rumor that McQueen had become a Christian, and I didn't know if that was true. So it started with a Google search, Steve McQueen, comma, right. Christian. And, and it led me to some articles that wasn't a lot about him. But some names started bubbling up, uh, one most notably the name of the man who was his pastor, who was still living. So it started with a conversation with him. Ultimately, I met Steve's widow, Barbara McQueen, and other people that knew him well. And we pieced this story together, unearthing recordings where McQueen, in his own voice, talked about his faith in Christ. And I wanted to tell that story. Well, that became a book, and it became a documentary film that did quite well. And a lot of people were asking me, are you going to do any more of these, like, kind of spiritual biographies? And I said, well, if I did, I would do one on Johnny Cash. And so that's how this book came about. I've always been a a fan of Cash. And I think the reason I'm drawn to a story like McQueen or Cash is because these are people that are sort of off the grid when it comes to being thought of as Christian. You know, we know that McQueen was a motorcycle car guy, movie star, fashion icon. We yeah. know Cash was the man in black, and, and and he's been described as the voice of America. He's been described as the godfather of cool. He's, you know, transcended <laughs> generations. So yeah. to me, it was, it was the juxtapositioning of the man in black who was actually a man of faith, and I thought, that's a fascinating story. And like you said, in the film starring Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon, that aspect of the story was really not included. And I wanted to kind of pick up where that leaves off. And to be fair, you're not going to get that uh, inclusion coming out of Hollywood very often. So, I mean, I can understand why they, uh, you know, why they would cut that off as, as good as the movie was, uh, you know, it would have been, they would have been hard pressed to uh, have put that in. So, um, throughout his life, uh, you talk a little bit about uh, throughout his life how he uh, uh, you know kept coming back to faith prior to wow. uh, you know the all-out redemption and I'm back uh, you know at the at, in the last what the last twenty years anyway of his life something like that. Yeah, I think it'd be you know I'm not going to suggest that he didn't have stumbles during that time, but I would say largely that's true. The last twenty years and certainly the last ten years especially when his health was beginning to fail him and his body was breaking down because of years of abuse. The fact is he produced his best art, I think, of his entire career. I think the recordings he did in the last 10 years with producer Rick Rubin were the finest recordings he did. And I'm including Walk the Line and Ring of Fire and A Boy Named Sue and all those classic cash hits that we think of. To me, that music toward the end was amazing and there were a lot of songs that were overt songs about faith and redemption and the bible and much more so when you talk about stumbles uh most of the stumbles though were really uh throughout the um early years right i mean he you know those those were some and and stumble is a nice way to put it well yeah i mean you know johnny uh, when he went out on the road, his career blew up. When he, you know, he went to Sam Phillips of Sun Records and got a recording deal. Sam Phillips, of course, is the guy who basically 
broke the open the career of Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis yeah. and Carl Perkins. And so those four, Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, and Cash were referred to as the millionaire quartet. Heck yeah, you know, those guys were great. They they changed the face of music, especially, I would say, uh, Cash and Elvis. But um, so, you know, he went out the road and he was fatigued and tired because you go from city to city. They didn't fly around in jets. They didn't even have tour buses. They just threw the gear in the back of the car and went to the, to the next gig. Right. So as he was exhausted being on the road, some musicians turned him on, for lack of a better word, to amphetamine, which cast out with the greatest invention of all time, even thinking that they were from God because they gave him energy. And, and of course, this became a problem. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I must say that at one point in my life, I agreed with that. But go ahead. Well, <laughs> well Hey, at one point of my life, I never used amphetamine, but, you know, I smoked pot. I took LSD. Uh, I thought drugs were fantastic for, you know, maybe a year and a half. Right. Until I started seeing the repercussions of what they do in your life. Yeah. And so, you know, Johnny was enamored with the effects and loved it. But then this became a cycle of addiction that he did struggle with throughout his life. He also went on, you know, intense drinking binges, destroyed pretty much by his own admission, every car he ever owned, you know, trashing hotel rooms, right. predictable rock star behavior. But I would suggest, you know, coming back to the Walk the Line film, if Cash didn't have his faith, he would have joined the pantheon of those that are no longer with us. You know, yeah. names like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, uh, Chris Cornell, uh, you know, the list goes on. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's a pretty good argument for, uh, you know, the list of uh, having faith and not having faith, I'll tell you that. That's right, because, you know, Johnny, you know, he messed up, but he always knew where to go. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. He never doubted his faith. He never doubted the Bible. He just, well, here's the way he put it. He says, there are two people, and they're always fighting. He, he said, Johnny's a nice guy, and Cash gives me all the trouble. <laughs> so that, you know, that was sort of some, an summation of his own life. You know, he, he kind of bounced back and forth. You know, uh, in the book, I describe him as having an angel on his shoulder and the devil at his back and got him speed dial. Yeah. Uh, there's no question. So when you, uh, as you started uh, digging uh, into uh, a little bit deeper into the uh, into the Johnny Cash world and uh, you know obviously the book uh, the redemption of an American icon did he the redemption uh, I kind of feel like uh, America gave that to him as well I, I kind of feel like once he offered himself up to his you know came out and and really showed, uh, his Christian faith. I kind of feel like uh, America said, wow, that makes Johnny Cash even better. Oh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, here's the thing with Johnny. He always believed, in fact, coming back to his beginning, when he went to Sam Phillips over at Sun Records, he initially wanted to record gospel songs. He wanted to yeah. record a song, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Sam Phillips basically said, people don't want to hear gospel songs. So, uh, Johnny came out with other songs like Hey Porter and ultimately I Walk the Line and songs that became huge hits. But at the peak of his success in the 70s when he had his TV show, Johnny would perform gospel songs. He had Billy Graham on as a guest. And it was during this time 
that he was actually making appearances at Billy Graham Crusade. So even when Johnny was getting in trouble, like he was still very out front about his faith. So it wasn't like there's a phase where you would think Johnny wasn't a Christian and Johnny was a Christian. Uh, in contrast to McQueen, who clearly just lived a very hedonistic lifestyle, raised without any faith, his mother was an alcoholic, he never knew his biological father. You know, Steve lived the American dream, had the ultimate motorcycle collection, car collection, saw the emptiness of it, went on a search, and came to faith. Johnny's story is different. He was raised in a Christian home. He always believed he would have a relapse, he'd get back up again, relapse, get back up again, and that cycle went on for a good part of his life. So I thought this is an important story to tell because it is a story of a lot of people today. Well, in Johnny Cash's case, I mean, he... had so many ups and downs just that would drive a lot of people into the ground. Uh, you know, I mean, even as a, at a young age, uh, you know, with the death of his brother and then I, and, yeah. and we, you know, it goes on and on and on, but I mean, uh, some, some of his problems were created of his own doing, no question, sure. but, uh, it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, coming back to his faith. That was, uh, that was most important and kept him ahead. No problem. Yeah, I would also say, Jeff, that it was a combination of the death of his brother and the austere nature of his father. You know, because Johnny had an older brother named Jack, who was just an outstanding young man. Uh, He had very deep faith, carried his Bible with him everywhere, memorized huge sections of Scripture, and actually wanted to be a preacher one day. And Johnny, you know, just idolized his brother. And his brother and him would go fishing all the time, and one day to earn a little extra money for the family that was basically dirt poor, literally out on the cotton fields, picking cotton every day. Uh, Jack went to a sawmill to make some extra money, and through a tragic accident, was pulled into the saw and died not long after that, and it devastated Johnny. But then Johnny's father, Ray Cash, was very harsh, very austere, and he actually said to Johnny, God took the wrong son. So, you know, Johnny lived under this cloud of wanting to please his father and missing his brother. But, you know, as you said, he made a lot of really bad choices that, you know, and he would be the first to admit it. That's one of the reasons people love Johnny. Johnny was real. Johnny was authentic. When he messed up, he owned it. You know, he, he wasn't trying to portray himself as some perfect man. He was the first to admit his shortcomings, and he had them, as all people do. But I think it was that authenticity that that drew people to him, like you were talking about earlier. So the book, we're talking with uh, Pastor Greg Laurie, uh, the book uh, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. Uh, definitely uh, worth your time if you're a, a Johnny Cash fan. And even if you're not a Johnny Cash fan, you get an idea of, uh, of what that redemption uh, looked like and felt like in this book. Greg, I want to talk a little bit with you about uh, your own American dream. Um, as long okay. as as long as I've got you here a little bit, you know. Right now, it, uh, I was looking at a little bit of your bio, and it talks about you've authored over seventy books, and you talked about starting out with your, uh, you know, the Steve McQueen, uh, the Salvation of an American Icon. Uh, you know, 
as a child and, and it said that you know we talked a lot about a lot of people who uh were young in faith and uh you know st- stuck with it it looks as though you know you came to faith in your teenage years correct mm-hmm. yeah and 17. and when after that you uh uh saw how powerful that was um did you have any idea before I get to writing, you know, your your authoring? But did you have any idea you've created this huge following uh, at the uh, you know the Harvest Christian Fellowship? Uh, you now have your uh, Harvest Crusades. Uh, you have millions of people who uh, trust in you. Did you ever think? I mean, you're living your own American dream. Did you ever think at any time that something this big and great was going to happen? Well, you know, it's a funny thing, because you would expect me to say no. Uh, but I don't know where this came from, but when I was a kid, you know, my mother was an alcoholic. She was raped and uh, married and divorced seven times. And that's one of the reasons they're really connected to McQueen's story, because his mother was married and divorced many times as well. And in, he was sent to a reform school. I was sent to military school. And that kind of comes brings me back to Cash. Uh, Cash's parents reminded me of my grandparents, who I spent a lot of time with, all from Arkansas. So I connected right. in different ways. But coming back to my story, I was one of my ways to escape my misery was I was an artist. I was a cartoonist. So I created these little cartoon adventures, and and in my little cartoon world, I had characters, and and I and I would write my name on the bottom when I did a drawing. <laughs> I was like eight years old, and I would put my name with a C with a circle around it like a copyright symbol. <laughs> right. Because I, I think I saw Charles Schultz did that, who I really admired. He was the author of Peanut. And yeah. I even corresponded with him for a time. So, you know, someone called that visions of grandeur. But here's how I would describe it. I had a dream, and I had a hope that I would get out of the miserable life I was in one day and find something better. And, you know, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in our heart. And I always felt like I wanted my life to matter, and I wanted to have some meaning to my life. And of course, I found that at the age of 17, when I heard about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ on my high school campus, I mentioned I'd experiment with drugs and drinking and other things, and I saw the course of my own, my own mother's life had taken. So it wasn't at that point I said, now I want to become a preacher. In fact, all I wanted to do at that point was, oh, now I'll just continue to do my art, but I'll have okay. sort of a Christian emphasis in it. But God, he had different plans for me. And then now as these other things have happened and I became a public speaker, that all came as a shock to me because I was always more of a behind-the-scenes guy wanting to make people laugh more than give them profound truth. But as I began to grow spiritually, I wanted to share what I was learning, but I wanted to do it, for lack of a better way to say it, in a fun way, even in an entertaining way, certainly in an engaging way, and most importantly, in an understandable way. Right. And so, you know, I I kind of connected Johnny in the way that I've never presented myself as some perfect person. I, I like to throw myself under the bus, as I say in my own jokes. I, I think self-deprecating humor is very effective. And I think it's important to not take ourselves too seriously, but I do take my message very seriously. Pastor Greg Laurie uh, joining us here on uh, Chewing the Fat American Dream segment. Now, 
Uh, it says that you've authored 70 books or over 70 books. Um, now, a lot of those are, uh, well, really all of them are, are faith-based, although now you're, you've done uh, uh, some biography stories. Did you, that was, was that just a luck of the draw falling into uh, the biography uh, stories where you thought, well, you know what, that, that's, a, that's a good way to, uh, to show faith and yet use the people that would be surprising to other people. Yeah, well, coming back to the 70 books, it, you know, I've written 70 books. I didn't say anyone's read them. But I've written, <laughs> so, you know, I use them to prop things up in the way in my house. Yeah, right. But coming back to the biography, now, I, it's a funny thing. I never set out to be a biographer, but I had a great uh, co-writer or have a great co-writer and a man named Marshall Terrell, who is a biographer, and we ended up working on the first McQueen book together because he had written five books on McQueen already. Wow. Uh, and so he really was an expert on the subject. Well, I thought, well, if I'm going to tell the story, I need someone that knows how to navigate these waters. Yeah. But at the same time, I can bring my emphasize, emphasis to it. So it was not my desire to write a series of spiritual biographies but as I said earlier, one just led to another. And I found it's a very effective way to communicate because, you know, Christians, we call this the personal testimony. Another way to put it is just your personal story of what happened to you. And people love story. Yeah, they do. And, and you know, and, and, I, and for me personally, I love, you know, biographies because I like to see what really happened to people, you know. Because sometimes in a movie they gloss over certain things and you read the real story and you see, oh, they went through the same highs and lows and ups and downs that I faced in life, maybe even worse. And so I'd love to tell these stories. And and I have an idea for one more, maybe more than one more, but uh, it'll probably be a trilogy. But so far it's McQueen and Cash. And you're not going to tell us what it is, are you? Oh, I'll tell you, I don't know if you'd be as interested in my third one, but I'm planning on writing a biography of Billy Graham. Oh, that would, of course, be interested. My gosh, that man was a giant. Well, he was, but, you know, people tend to think of him as merely a religious figure, and he certainly was, uh, you know, the Christian leader. But Billy, the story that people don't know about Billy, he's sort of the glue in the Cash and McQueen story. You know, he was a good friend of Johnny Cash, and as I mentioned, Johnny singing many of Billy's uh, crusades, and also Billy played a key role in the life of Steve McQueen as well. But it was my wow. privilege to get to know Billy very well personally uh, for two decades, spending time with him. And I was sort of helping him as he was sort of ending his crusade ministry. I was starting mine, so I spent a lot of time with him. And I thought, I want to tell a more human story about Billy Graham. Uh, one that shows, I think, how innovative he was, how creative he was, how outside of the lines he would paint sometimes. He was a real uh, trendsetter, groundbreaker. So I want to tell a different kind of a story about Billy, but I think one that people will really love. Fascinating. Uh, good luck with that. I'll be fascinated to, uh, we'll talk to you about that when that comes out, no problem. So a couple of years ago, uh, as we're talking to Pastor uh, Greg Laurie, a couple of years ago, you uh, were part of a movement called uh, the Year of Good News. Now, yeah. I kind of feel like 
I hope that's kind of ongoing instead of just uh, yeah. you know the year of 2017 because I feel like uh, since 2010, 2011, maybe even before, we've needed uh, good news more than ever. And yeah. uh, it seems like it's piling on every year and every day that we need good news more than ever. So I hope that's kind of ongoing. How's that going? No, that's we pretty much are done with good news. That ended in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> no, even like you said, even more so. And, you know, I just read an interesting article. You probably read it as well that said, you know, millennials are less patriotic and less religious than generations that preceded them. Yeah, they're taking so the I was just Yeah, so I was writing a column just now, right before I called you kind of offering a different point of view because we just had an event at the Angel Stadium in Southern California. This past weekend, right? This past weekend, we had 100,000 people come out over three nights, and 65% of them are what we would call millennials and Generation Z. And probably 70% of those that came to make a profession of faith out of maybe 8,500 were Generation Z and millennials. So. I would call that people because some might call that becoming more religious. And on yeah. Friday night at our event, we had a gigantic American flag that was unfurled that filled most of the field. And then we all sing God bless America. Well, some would call that patriotism. Yeah. So here's my point. We read an article like that and we, well, gee, that's, there is truth to that article, but it's not the complete truth. And, you know, this young generation, uh, Generation Z, has been described as the hopeless generation. So I find it interesting that we've come from the greatest generation, those folks that came out of World War II, to now what we call the hopeless generation. And the millennials are described as the loneliest generation, and they also have the highest suicide rate. Oh, you know. So did they? Go ahead. No, I was just, you know, I was I, thinking about that. Uh, you know, the greatest generation and the boomers. Uh, from the greatest, uh, you know, kind of have did a little disservice uh, to these, uh, you know, the the millennials and the Zs, because we, as they're, you know, you're finding that they're coming, and I'll say coming back to, because I don't know that they ever, it was ever there, coming back to faith and patriotism, because so much of the time that they were young and growing and soaking things in, they were being told that that was those things were. Don't worry about it. That's nothing. If they were told that at all, it just didn't exist. So now that they see it, I have a feeling that you know once once those doors open, it's going to be tough to close them. Yeah, very good point. Sure, because my generation, the boomers, uh, you know, we were you know we were rebelling against the greatest generation. And, you know, we had the Vietnam War and we had the drug, you know, revolution and the sexual revolution and all that crap. And uh, <laughs> and so, you know, now we pass those values, or maybe I might describe it as a lack of values onto a younger generation. Here's another thing. So many of these kids today are are coming from homes where, where the mom and dad broke up. And in many cases, there, there was no dad or there was never an intact family. So... And then we add all of this technology to the mix. And, you know, like here's a great example. You see strollers now that have built-in places for iPads, okay? Right. So now with the baby here, watch this and be quiet, where these kids are being raised at the earliest age with all this tech 
And there's no question they found that there's a direct connection to stress and in in fear and worry and the excessive use of electronic devices. So it's just sort of like a bad mix, a lack of family, a lack of values, throwing check where it puts it on your doorstep every waking moment of every day. As another I, as another example of that, and I and I know you know it it does kind of sound like you know okay, calm down, Grandpa, we got it. But as another yeah. example of that, you know, we just did it. We talked to uh, I'm sure you are, you know read the same story I did about the uh, you know the adults now wanting their recess time and their playtime. <laughs> well. I mean that's that's only because they didn't have it, right? I mean they're not good. They don't have their recess time when they were a kid, and now they're realizing, hey, there's something to it. Well, yeah, yes. You know, it's a funny thing. The Bible says, "Ask for the old ways and walk therein, and you'll find rest for your souls." I think we always want everything to be new, shiny and new, and I think we sort of think sometimes, "Oh, if it's old, it's lame." Well, some things that are old are lame. But then there are time-tested things, things that have stood, have come through centuries. And, you know, the family is always going to be an essential because God created the family. And, of course, the Lord himself is always the one that every generation needs. And the Bible says that these truths are true for every generation uh, that embraces them. So that's why I feel like we want to just keep bringing this message. You know, when I started up with these evangelistic events 30 years ago, you know, the young generation then was Generation X. Well, they're adults now, and they've raised families. And so now it's millennials, now it's Generation Z. Fast forward 10 years, they'll have some new, you know, name for the next generation. But really, when it comes down to the bottom line, people don't change all that much, and their needs are the same. I think we'll leave it at that. Pastor Greg Laurie, thank you for joining us on Chewing the Fat today. Is there any uh, any special word uh, that you want to leave people with as far as uh, can they contact you a special place? Can they find you a special place? Or is it the uh, is it just uh, Greg Laurie? Of course, we started out talking to you about your, your latest book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, uh, which you know is well worth your time. Or uh, do we send people where? Okay, thanks for asking. Yeah, you can find me, well, I'm on Facebook, just Greg Laurie Facebook. I'm on Instagram, Greg Laurie, on Instagram, Twitter. Also, you can go to our website, harvest.org. And if you want a copy of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, you, you can get them in stores near you, but it's, clear, it's out there on Amazon as well. Pastor Greg Laurie, thank you very much. Living your American dream. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. 